Are you listening to this show hoping to get some golden nuggets to help you on your way to recovery? Well, great. I hope that you find them because that is exactly what this show is for. But if you really want to take your recovery all the way, completely commit and get on track with your goals, whether they be finally feeling overall healthy, finally getting pregnant, or finally getting back to training, you'll want to join us inside of the HA Society. Not only is this the perfect community to ask questions and get your support and the accountability that you so often need during these uphill battles with body image and understanding nutrition and incorporating exercise, but it's also a hub of exclusive resources for HAers. All of the HA podcast episodes are released in advance and completely ad-free, so you can listen on the go to the raw, unedited versions, uninterrupted. All of the one-on-one coaching calls, of which we have two a week in different time zones, are uploaded to our private podcast feed so that you can listen to events with practitioners and the past community calls as though they were bonus podcast episodes, because I know how much you love to listen to this kind of stuff. And in these calls, we cover requested topics like overcoming the weight gain fears, communicating with friends and family about our HA, diving into how HA works, and debunking the imposter syndrome that so many of us have around this diagnosis. There's also an entire resources section with lectures, workshops, and training from the past events that are hosted by experts like Sarah Liz King, Laura Lyons, Kaylee McDevitt, Holly Dunn, and many more. As a member, you also get direct access to myself and Coach Ashley in the DMs. So if you have personal questions or need individualized advice about your recovery, we're in there answering your questions in the DMs, as are all of our other members in the group who impress me week after week with how they show up for each other. It's incredible. It's like women are just all becoming mini coaches for each other. It's so good. The HA Society is really the place to be if you're going through recovery, no matter what stage you're at. Whether you have HA or you've got a few recovery periods, we have your back and we're all your new best friends. So come and meet us at thehasociety.com forward slash join. That's thehasociety.com forward slash join and the link is in the show notes for you okay on with the show hey and welcome to the hypothalamic amenorrhea podcast an adulting advice podcast production i'm danny sheriff and this is the place to come if you care about getting your period regularly this podcast aims to educate inform and keep you motivated on your period and ha recovery track And quick disclaimer, guys, I'm not a doctor and none of the information in this podcast is intended to replace medical advice. Always seek the advice from your physician. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Hypothalamic Amenorrhea podcast, the most difficult podcast name to say on the internet. I am so pumped, totally fangirling here to have Lisa Hendrickson Jack on the show. If you haven't heard her before on a show, well, now I think you'll just see her name pop up everywhere. Um, she's she's definitely around. She's a certified fertility awareness educator and holistic reproductive health practitioner who teaches women to chart their menstrual cycles for natural birth control, conception, and monitoring overall health. She is the author of The Fifth Vital Sign, and in that book, she debunks the myths of regular 
that like that ovulation is only important for reproducing like for having children she totally explains that i've re-listened to that chapter a bunch of times whenever you guys have asked me questions and i've had to be like hang on let me go to my sources <laughs> and she hosts the fertility friday podcast which is like one of the podcasts that i first started listening to when i went down this rabbit hole of like where's my period why don't I have it and then after getting it like oh well what do I do next um and thanks to Lisa and her book I that's how I've learned how to chart and um I use your paper charting workbook too so welcome to the show thank you so much for having me that's amazing that we were like journeying together but I know You might start like talking at some point today and then I'll forget to respond because I probably just think I'm listening to you and then I realize we're in a conversation. Yes. No, don't worry. I've had that happen before because I've interviewed people who I listen to and there's one particular podcast episode that like, I don't know if I would even want to listen to now because I was so thrown by the fact that I was talking to the person who I'd listened to on the podcast. <laughs> You're not alone. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I know. It's it's cool. But it's also just so cool that you'll do episodes. You'll do podcast episodes and just with it, probably most people. <laughs> and I think that that's really... Um, just really good for getting the good word out there. I know that you are really outspoken about your opinions as well, um, <laughs> which I appreciate. <laughs> I mean, a lot of a lot of people are like, uh, I don't know, what's the term? They don't really want to like shake the tree, or they they want to appease everyone's different. Um, uh, well, you can't at some point. Um... And the irony is that I always say, so whenever I interview women who are past that magical age of wisdom, uh, menopause, I, you know, they have no filters. Like they're, they're done with the filters. They just say everything that comes out of their mouth. And so all I have to say is like, you think I'm opinionated now, like wait until like, I'm still a ways away from there, but I feel like everything's just going to go crazy because even as outspoken as I am now, there are still topics I don't necessarily jump into and address. So yeah, I mean, you pick your, you got to like pick your battles, right? And like, what hill do you want to die on? And yeah, but there's certain things that are really important, I think, for women's um, health, for and certain things that are really important for women to know. And so there are certain things where I just I'm completely fine with saying what I need to say and. Uh, certainly I, I get a little bit of pushback from people, but I think what has really helped me is my niche. So I'm really talking about fertility awareness charting, and that's the center of what I do. And that's what I teach in my programs. And so I think because of that, I have a friendly audience because women, this is not like a, this is a, a, a niche kind of a, a thing that mm-hmm. not every single woman on earth is like completely in love with. So I find the the women who find me are the ones that are really, really into this concept of charting, understanding their cycles, wanting to tune into it. And so I feel like for that reason, I've been sheltered from maybe some of the backlash for talking about some of the things I talk about, if that makes sense. Oh, okay. Nice. I was actually going to like ask you for some advice because I just feel um, nervous sometimes just having a platform. And I I made this podcast and all these people started listening and I was like, what the hell? (laughs) Because I I made the most SEO friendly name um, for for a show. But I'm like, oh my gosh, like any day now, someone's going to 
email me and be like, what are you saying? What are you? And I'm just like ready for that day. And it hasn't come yet, but it's like, no, like these are my beliefs. This is my show. This is the information that I believe is important for people to know. And this is my niche. So, well, the way that, so for example, you know, when women learn about fertility awareness charting, and they learn the myths, they learn that they're not fertile every day, that it was a lie. <laughs> they learn that there's only a small window of time that you can get pregnant, that there are non-hormonal methods that actually work. Uh, you know, in the case of HA, like it is important to get your period, even if you're not trying to get pregnant, because it's a sign of health, right? Uh, a lot of women obviously and understandably get upset. And, um, you know, it's like, why didn't anybody uh, tell me that? Um, I kind of lost my train of thought, actually. Mm -hmm. Remind me what I think. I think I was just like, how do you deal with haters? And then we're That's right. like, because we're so opinionated. Yeah. Um, and so I'm trying to think of where I was trying to go with this because I had a really good point. <laughs> I know it's one of those days. It's fine. But I guess I would just say that um, when it like when it comes to uh, people who kind of criticize. So maybe I'll share like the there's a few things, a few areas where I get the criticism. So one of the areas um, is, is the vegans, the vegans, they hate me. <laughs> um, and uh, the, so I've done a few episodes uh, with ex vegans and I talk a lot about uh, what would be optimal for fertility and pregnancy and health. And from my perspective, from what I've seen, and also um, when I'm working with women with their cycles and charts, I mean, when women come to me with their cycles and charts and they're having trouble conceiving, for example, they're not um, like they're having trouble. So I'm seeing some of the challenges that they're having. And so anyway, so that's one of those topics where I, I do get like pushback and flack in that area. Mm -hmm. um, I don't get as much pushback and flack for the birth control stuff as I think I probably could because I know some of my colleagues in a similar field get a lot more pushback from the birth control stuff interesting but I do get some so I've certainly had doctors uh read my book and you know I wish I could recommend my book to my patients but it's too negative about birth control and all that kind of mm. stuff and I'm like that's interesting because I have two birth control chapters in my book and between them there's 250 citations so I didn't actually make it up right <laughs> it isn't it's even like my opinion. it's like legit and then I shared a bunch of women's stories so they are real they're alive and they <laughs> they had these experiences so um mm. I guess even though I lost my train of thought like what I was getting at is just that when you put your information out you have a very specific niche that you are um kind of putting things out there now I remember what I was going to say and mm -hmm. so when you're sharing that perspective you know there's a reason why you started the HA podcast right <laughs> it's because yeah. likely you had your own experience and then this is so these are your people and you have a really good understanding mm -hmm. of how they're thinking what they're going through what the struggles are and that's why women resonate with you and so for me yeah. I'm talking to a kind of specific woman as well someone who is looking for an alternative to basically what our medical system tells you you have to do. Um, someone who is really intrigued in their menstrual cycle and is a bit of a nerd for this stuff and, and really likes it. And so um, when you do that, uh, 
so when you when I first learned fertility awareness, I had this instinct to want to like go and ram it down everyone's throats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and a lot of women find themselves in that position, right? Like they um, they want to go tell their friends or they try to kind of like, you need to listen to this, you need to buy, and, and they kind of like their friends yeah. don't, they're, it's falling on deaf ears. But the great thing about, you know, putting things out in podcast form or just kind of putting information out into the world, however you do it, is that you end up attracting your people. Um, because really, I'm not, I'm not forcing myself on anybody. <laughs> I didn't make you listen to the podcast. You can't play, like you can turn it off, right? Uh, so really, that's, I think, my favorite thing about that medium is that you can put your information out there. You know, this is my understanding of this topic. This is how I feel about this thing. And this is why. And if you resonate with it, you'll keep listening. But if you don't resonate with it, you won't. And that's okay. And so I think that's part of the reason why maybe yourself and myself, we have been pretty safe. At least yeah. maybe I, you've been a little bit more safe. <laughs> um, so, but I get a. I'm just new. We'll see. I know. I'm like, I'm so new that I have opinions I haven't shared yet because a couple of reasons. I just like want to be, want to do that slowly. And the other reason is because I also think there's some things that a lot of the audience is actually just not primed to receive yet which might sound a little bit weird but like I talk to these people every single day I know where their heads at I know what they're thinking and like what basically like what the information out there is right now and I have some opinions that I would love to um be like have you thought of it this way but I just don't like there, there needs to be steps, stepping stones. So we'll see. I'll well, get maybe, there. <laughs> maybe not. I mean, maybe not. You could always, I like to test the water. And I think, I mean, you can, there's different ways you can test the water. You can, if you have a, a smaller community Facebook group, or if you've got like a social media presence, like you can certainly put out ideas in different forms and kind of see, but doing like a short solo episode where you share some ideas and then ask your community for feedback um, without necessarily going all the way into the deep end, but you kind of share, like you do in a respectful way and you know your clients, so you know what makes sense. But just to give you some encouragement there, I would say that if there's things you think are important for your community to know, um, you know them very well. And so I'm sure you could find um, a, a very gentle and loving way to talk about these things without yeah. having to worry about, you know, should I? Because you, yeah, why not? That's, <laughs> that's true. No, I can totally do that. Okay. I feel like I'm going to be on the hook for that. People are going to be like, so what is yeah, this? Yeah, t- they want to know. Stuff? Yeah. They, someone's emailing okay. you right now. What is it? Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, enough about my opinions that I'm not going to say right now. <laughs> I would love to jump in to um, kind of going with something that, that you said earlier about like pe- people, they'll find you, like they'll resonate with you um, if it's right. And so when I first started listening to your podcast, I was looking for information all over the place about like just how to get my period back. Now your podcast at at least at the time, it didn't have tons and tons of episodes about this particular thing. It's, it definitely is more uh, geared towards women who are already cycling, I think. And I'm like figuring, figuring that out, but it gave me so much helpful information about what to expect and what to do next. And I think that's really important. So something I'm noticing in the community, and it's actually like one of the opinions. So let's just do it. But um, it, 
we're all trying to get that wonderful bleed. We want to see that red blood. We want to make it like, that's the goal. But it doesn't just stop at the bleed. You don't just get a bleed and it's necessarily all hunky-dory. For some people, it sure it sure it is. For me, I had anovulatory cycles one after the other. I had six-day luteal phases. I had like just all of the things, which I'm so happy about because it's giving going to give me tons and tons of content. But I think that a lot of a lot of women don't actually understand um, that their period it doesn't just stop at getting a bleed. That ovulation is a thing, and ovulation is a thing. Double peaks are a thing, which is, seems to be very common in our community. So I would love for you to tell us a little bit about like. I want, well, I want to talk about what to expect, like what, do, how do I know I'm ovulating? Cause that's a very common thing. Am I ovulating? Is this ovulation? Have I ovulated? And, and what, like, can you explain a little bit about how, what an ovulation is? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I got there. To start. Um, I mean, in terms of ovulation, I think that's, I'm sure you've gone through all of this in a lot of detail because this is what really separates something like HA from PCOS, which a lot of people get confused. So in PC, I, I don't think they, they really look the same, but I guess some people can think they look the same because obviously with HA, you're either not ovulating at all or you're ov- ovulating very sporadically, but basically not at all. And so you raised a really important point, which is that, I mean, I think this comes from our culture and our kind of lack of being the fact that we're not really taught anything about our cycles so then I guess from that perspective I've never thought about it this way but it makes total sense that you might assume that once you get your period back it's just back (laughs) and it's just great and everything is hunky-dory and that's all you have to do and I think that that's really interesting because obviously that well might not be obvious to, to everyone listening but from my perspective uh it wouldn't that wouldn't necessarily be the expectation So what I would say in terms of that concept in general is that, you know, I like analogies. So if you had a car that you loved but was parked for, you know, two years, you would not assume that if you turned it on, it would just be totally fine. You would anticipate that it would probably be a good idea to fill up the gas, get an oil change, get those gears lubricated. Like, obviously, it would make sense that you might have a little bit of a rough, like, couple of days like with that kind of and I think that that is a a decent analogy because what you could expect in a situation like that where you have not been cycling we've been working really really hard to bring your cycle back and address those kind of fundamental issues with it HA which is um, undernutrition over exercise and or stress or a combination of it you know combined with you know, maybe getting your weight to a certain point, depending on the situation. Um, Although weight is obviously sometimes not even the issue, but you get where I'm going with this. Um, But once you finally get that car started, once you finally ovulate for that first time, what you can expect essentially is a transition phase because your menstrual cycle, you know, the way I talk about it all the time is that it is a vital sign. And so it's always giving you information about your overall health. And so when you're first getting it back started again, this is a learning process. This is a stage where you still like you you learned how to get it back and now you have to learn how to optimize it. And those two things can take a bit of time just depending on the situation. So your original question was, how do I tell if I'm ovulating? 
And so one of the key, key factors to look towards to identify ovulation is your cervical fluid. So of course, one of the challenges with HA is that it's characterized by anovulation. So Mm -hmm. if you're not ovulating and you're not even moving towards ovulation, then you're not going to see any cervical fluid. Um, You know, chances are. It's possible that you could see some if you're if you're kind of starting to work on things um, and your body's starting to try to ovulate. So it's certainly possible that you could start yeah. seeing a bit of mucus and then it goes away and a bit of mucus and it goes away. And so for anyone who's listening who isn't sure about this whole mucus thing, so cervical fluid, cervical mucus, I use those words interchangeably. It can look like creamy white hand lotion. It can look like clear, stretchy egg whites. Like when you go to the bathroom, <laughs> you can see it in your underwear. And if you're wiping, you might notice that it's really slippery one day, or you might even notice that there's a certain day of your cycle where it actually feels a bit more wet and maybe your underwear feels a bit more wet. So those are all those signs. And so in a normal, typical, healthy cycle, you would have your period and then your follicles start to grow and develop as your eggs start to grow and develop. And that produces estrogen. And that estrogen is what stimulates your cervix to make this cervical fluid. And so in a healthy typical cycle, you would have two to seven days of cervical fluid before ovulation, and then you would ovulate. And then when you ovulate, your ovaries start to produce significant amounts of progesterone that shuts down the mucus production. So you would have mucus leading up to ovulation, and then it would stop. And so, you know, that kind of um, experience of having the mucus for several days and then having it stop, that in of itself is one of the ways to confirm ovulation. And then uh, your period would come about 12 to 14 days after that. And then um, you can also track your temperature and things like that. But for a woman who has been struggling with HA for quite a while, obviously it's been a while since the period happened at all. And so you would basically be watching for that cervical fluid to see if you notice any change, to see if you notice that it's happening. And that would be, I would say, one of the most important, well, the most important sign to watch for. Uh, because that happens before the period. So that can be your heads up that the period is coming. Yeah, that's like my favorite one to hear girls say, oh, I'm seeing cervical mucus. And when I first saw it, and I had forgotten about it. But you remember, you're like, oh, yeah, there isn't anything wrong with me. <laughs> and I like that was normal. And I remember hearing you tell a story about going to the doctor because of your cervical mucus because you were like, what the hell is going on? fix this problem. Yeah. Well, that wasn't my personal experience, but I, I interviewed, see, I feel like it was probably either Tony Weschler or Katie Singer, but I could be wrong because those interviews were like six years ago or five years ago, but I interviewed one of them and they basically shared that experience and it is not unique. There are many women who, I mean, even in medical school, from my interviews with doctors, they're trained that basically anything that comes out of the vagina, they call it a discharge and discharge means infection. And so many even health professionals are not aware of the distinction between your normal healthy cervical fluid and a possible infection. So for the record, cervical fluid is normal and healthy and it's amazing. Uh, Cervical fluid is what keeps the sperm alive for up to five days. It rapidly transports the sperm into the cervical cervix where the sperm can survive in there up to five days, you know, and also it screens abnormal sperm. So the majority of a man's sperm is actually abnormal in shape. 
and size and things like that. And so our cervical fluid screens that out and is a natural kind of barrier. So only the good sperm get in. So cervical mucus is its own conversation. But for right now, it's normal, healthy, thumbs up for cervical fluid. Uh, and so, yeah, so what happened was she kept seeing this cervical fluid, right, every month. And she, you know, in the middle of her cycle, and she thought, understandably, that it was an infection, even though she wasn't itchy and it wasn't like yellow or green or anything. So she went to her doctor, and this is the scary part, right? Some of the healthcare practitioners don't even know and may not even do a test. Like, I think a swab test would be at least appropriate, but they'll just put her on antibiotics because she has this concerning discharge. So I often wonder how many women have been unnecessarily put on antibiotics just because they're ovulating. I know. I like so many women will have gone to the doctor for it because I remember getting it and it's just that I'm like a bit of a lazy person. So I remember being like, this is so gross and I am one of the grossest people I know and I'm sure that this doesn't happen to anyone else. And, you know, now I know that it's like a marker of health. (laughs) Yeah. And a way to, so that would be for anyone who's kind of like, why do I want to know? Or how do I tell if I'm ovulating? That would be one of the signs. And um, also you had mentioned the the concept of the double peak. And so um, when your period is just kind of coming, like when you're just working on this, and so kind of like those first couple times you actually ovulate and have your period, it certainly is possible that your body can kind of gear up to ovulation And then if you have a super stressful week, um, you've got like a crazy exercise routine that can cause it to back off a bit. So you could have, let's say, you know, three, four days where you're seeing the cervical fluid and you're like, I heard about this on that podcast and I must be approaching ovulation. And then it goes away and you think, oh, I must have ovulated. And then a couple days later, it comes back again. So it's certainly possible to see that type of a pattern um, when it's first coming back or. Uh, you know, especially if you're still kind of in that initial transition phase. Uh, but that would be actually one of the pretty big distinctions between HA and PCOS because often, like PCOS women cycle. They might have really long cycles, but they cycle. And so that's more characteristic, like those many days of mucus or many patches of mucus, that's more characteristic in um, PCOS women than it is for HA women because HA women, nothing is going on. I, yeah, it's dormant down out. there. Yeah. So like, there's nothing. It's like the. That's why I agree with your statement earlier of like, to, to you, they actually look really different. And it's like, it's kind of funny that they're always so like associated with each other because PCOS is like a lot of, a lot of things. And HA is just like nothing, like nothing's happening. Yeah. And they're just like opposite. The profile. Yeah. Well, and as you know, from your community, I mean, women who are experiencing this issue, it's, it's over exercise under nutrition and stress. So it can be predominantly more, more one than the other. Um, Certainly, there are women who um, are really like they experience a really horrifically stressful experience in life. And that sets them off in, in that respect. But I would say more commonly, you see the patterns, you know, you, you have these conversations with your clients and you're like, oh, so, you know, how many times a week do you work out? Well, six times and twice on Sundays. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. And I noticed Which is here very that, common. Yeah. And I notice here that you drink, you know, coffee for breakfast. Like, do you usually skip breakfast? Yeah, I, I t- typically wait until noon to, to mm-hmm. eat or whatever. And so you see these patterns. Like, 
And so I had a really interesting conversation with a woman on one of my podcast episodes. It was one of my reality series. So I do these, uh, one of my favorite things to do is to highlight real women's stories and put them out there. Um, and so I interviewed a woman for my pill reality series. And in that conversation, what came out was that, you know, she was put on the pill before she even had her first period. So she mm. was 16 and she had not started having her menstruation and the doctor did just put her on the pill. And so in our short conversation, now I am not an MD. <laughs> I, I am a lot of things, but one of them is not a doctor, but within mm. our conversation on my podcast, I basically asked her a few general questions, you know, like what was your activity level back then? Oh, mm. I don't remember exactly what, you know, sport that she did, but she was heavily, heavily into She's fitness. Yes. Yeah, she was an athlete. Um, and she mentioned that she was a little bit obsessed with her weight. And so she was being super restrictive with her eating. So within the span of, I don't know, 45 seconds, I mean, <laughs> yeah. so I think you know what I'm saying. So I think one yeah. of like my, my broader statement for this is that um, it's really, really challenging and unfortunate that um, women don't always receive, you know, the care that they should. Because we are trained to really value the opinions of our health professionals. So if she yeah. had been in that situation and her health professional had simply done a little bit of recon. So the first thing is to know that, you know, there is a normal age for women to start menstruating. And ultimately, if you have not started menstruating by the time you're 15 going on 16, that is a sign of an issue because you're supposed to. The average age is about 13. And certainly there's a lot of discussion about women starting to menstruate earlier, but the average age is still about, you know, 13. So that in of itself, this is why there are a number of health professionals who are speaking out and saying we need to look at the menstrual cycle as a vital sign, particularly in teenage girls. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of uh, information about that because of situations like this. So if her health professional had just, you know, okay, so you don't have your period, that's a little bit strange. Tell me a little bit about how you're eating and how you're moving. And if that health professional would have assessed that situation and basically said, look, this isn't healthy. Um, I'm, you know, you need to look at these things, figure out either, either cut the exercise or eat significantly more. Um, when you're at athlete level exercise, a lot of people don't identify as athletes, but if you're working out mm. for like two hours a day for five days a week, you're an athlete. Like you don't have to agree with me, but I'm just going to thing. Like now, now the world we live in, the standard has been set to like you should work out as an athlete every day. If you if you work out like that, you have to know that you are at the athlete level. And my general loving suggestion is that if you're at the athlete level, it requires three full meals a day with a balance of mm -hmm. protein, carbohydrates, and fat, plus an additional meal equivalent. So if like you're doing dessert, like a shake, Tora. like if you're doing, so three full meals plus like a shake or something, something, that is the equivalent mm -hmm. of another meal from a caloric perspective, because that makes sense. And that's what your body needs when you are and your cycle. So because everything for me comes back to the cycle. So you can tell me whatever you want, but I'm going to look at your cycle. And so for and this applies, of course, to women who have lost their cycle, but it also applies to women who are who are cycling 
-hmm. or maybe are recovering their cycle. So they're starting to cycle again because you can still gauge it. Your luteal phase should be 12 days and you shouldn't have five days of spotting before you have your period. So you can continue to learn from your cycles, even when you're cycling about this balance between, you know, exercise and eating and rest. Yes, this is what has been so eye-opening for me. Like if I hadn't found your information, I just don't think, uh, or at least it would take me longer to get there. I would be that person who thinks I've got my period back all is well. um, And that's all I need to do. But now, because I identify as an athlete, you know, I love playing tennis, love weightlifting, something I had to give up, but something I'm ready to bring back. And so being able to track my cycle, it's not just a case of, you know, wait to see if you get your period and then you're you're okay no when I first started to reintroduce sport I had a six-day luteal phase and an eight-day luteal and like I realized okay I'm still pushing it I need to introduce more food I need to back off the intensity a bit until I like until my body is ready to support this kind of activity and I am you know mentally ready to to do the work because that for us it's a lot of it's mental is to like eat enough of the food that we should um and and without this tool of fertility awareness method i just like it i think that it is something that is game changing for women who want to get back into athletics there is here we go one of my opinions there is a message of like um stop everything you're doing right now and like change your life. And I do believe that for many women, that will be the case. You'll give up obsessive exercise and you'll find, you'll rediscover your life in different ways. And there's also women who are going to want to get back to their sport. So how do we do that? And I think that FAM is one of the tools that they, they are going to have to have. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I, (laughs) I, I think that that's a really important um, part because this is it's it's complex. So um, sharing my perspective on that, I think that um, you know when you are kind of stuck in a certain paradigm, and you are, and I think that we honestly this world is not easy for women. Um, when I think about my own experiences. Uh, I remember when I went through puberty and, you know, my thigh, you, you gain fat on your thighs. And I remember, you know, I'm sitting down on the, the stool in gym class. And honestly, man, I, I'm a beanpole. I'm like a little tiny, little, you know, like a skinny mini type of human. Um, and I was always into the, the sports and all the things. But I'm looking at my legs and I'm like, oh, they look kind of bad. Like, it's just this is the world we live in. It's just completely upside down. So what I'm saying is that it's challenging um, generally. And a lot of us come out of those you know, early years with a lot of kind of distorted images about our body. So this is real. Like, it's, it's really hard, that emotional yeah. um, piece of it. Uh, so then I think that there is value in actually shutting it down. For a period of time. But I don't think that everyone needs to follow the same path. But I will say that out loud. I think that there is value for some women to shut it down for a period of time. But you'll notice I said a period of time, because I don't necessarily think it's forever. But I think that when you're caught up in a paradigm, and especially for women who are trying to conceive or something like that, mm-hmm. and they're really kind of doing everything but because they're still, you know, like, you're still mm-hmm. kind of addicted to the exercise. Yeah. You're kind of we, we call it quasi-recovery. Yeah, okay. Uh, yes, that. 
<laughs> we're we, there's many people are like yeah that's me it's a yeah. huge yeah. like you're still coming to terms like you kind of get it intellectually mm -hmm. but you're like it's not really that bad my girlfriend does crossfit seven times a week and she has her period right like all of that mm -hmm. so um so but everybody is different you are not your friend right you are you mm -hmm. and we all have our different challenges and it's and you don't know and you don't really know what's going on with your friend no. and it's like all just yeah so yeah if you lived in her body you would be saying something different so i do think that there is value in that situation because also if you have been over exercising and under eating for like years your body needs rest like it needs to recover it's not someone saying like you never exercise again it's legitimately like you drove the car for like you know across the country back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and you didn't even you know stop for a day it's still warm you need you need a break anyways me with my silly analogies but um but anyway so i think that there's value in that and so i'm saying that out loud but at the same time i completely agree with what you're saying that the menstrual cycle then becomes a, 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 a it becomes an um there's a word i'm trying to find but an ally a tool yeah Yes, definitely becomes your best friend, like in, in that sense, because when you understand that it's more than just your period and you understand the different aspects of the cycle. So you understand ovulation, cervical fluid, and also obviously luteal phase length and quality, then that's a really key way for you to monitor your progress and your health. So so I will um, when you said like you're going to die on that, like, uh, you know, hill or whatever for whatever you believe <laughs> I would say that yeah there's a lot of value to that um, and then once you get your cycle back right like once you have sorted this out and you actually start getting like you start menstruating you start ovulating and you're that that in of itself can be a really significant opportunity for learning because you learned what you had to do to get it back and so then as yes. you introduce the exercise then this is a, an, another excellent opportunity to learn, you know, what what works and what doesn't. If you try to jump right back into what you did before, it's going to go mm -hmm. away again. Yeah, it's actually like a cool opportunity, you know, to be at this point where you're actually starting with nothing. You know, women who are tracking who are already cycling, they're like, they're starting in the middle of a cycle. They're like, they're figuring out their body. They don't necessarily learn as quickly, like, what's working or what's normal for them but when you have ha and you have like your first few charts are just like weird zigzaggy messes and there's mucus and like the beginning of there's like patches of it happening all over the place like you get a, a much clearer picture when as the charts go on it kind of starts to present as like you know a nice nicer looking kind of textbook type chart and um you you just like you can very clearly see what impacted what. Yeah. Um, I I just think it's really fascinating to start tracking like when you get your as soon as you get your first cycle. Well, and there's, I mean, there's a lot of different factors, but I would say the most, from my perspective right now, kind of those kind of crucial factors to pay attention to mm. when you start cycling. And so, for the record, this is not about perfection and establishing mm. a new obsession 
um, because I always say there's no such thing as a perfect chart and perfect isn't the goal. Your cycle is a reflection of your health. It's always going to fluctuate. And even if you do everything, air quotes, you know, perfect, you're still, there's still going to be that time when your best friend was getting married and blah, 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 everything was crazy and you were stressed mm-hmm. out. So I would say, you know, if, if anything, you know, the goal from my perspective with charting is never to have this perfect chart and for everything to be perfect because there is no perfect, but it's for it to be an ally and a tool and a friend for you to really track your progress and have a sense of what's going on. So with that said, uh, looking at ovulation when it's happening in the cycle, if it's delayed, uh, you know, if you have multiple mucus patches, that type of thing, meaning if your body's gearing towards ovulation and it stops, and it's gearing towards it again, and it stops. If you look at what's happening during those times, it's it's really another way of making sure that you take care of yourself mm-hmm. uh, because you're accountable to it in a way. Well, yeah, and and also I think for a lot of women, it's really eye opening because you have this real time yeah. biomarker that will actually give you that feedback to say if what you're doing is is right on. So. I will die on that hill saying that I don't care what you say. I mean, I love you, right? But (laughs) I don't really, like what you say is nice, but let's see what the chart says. Yeah. And so, (laughs) you know, I notice here that you have like, you know, you had all this mucus and it looks like you were about to ovulate. It went away and then you ended up ovulating a couple days later. What was happening here? Oh, well, that was a really stressful week. I you know, got in three extra workouts on Tuesday, whatever. And so I think for a lot of women, again, it's not about being perfect. It's about this kind of, I'm going to try this and see what happens. And over the course of many cycles, you start to see like what your body can tolerate, what it can't. And it's not going to be the same as anyone else. This is a way for you to learn your body. And so the ovulation is an important factor to pay attention to. But the luteal phase, again, is basically your training ground, if you'll excuse the silly like mm-hmm. exercise, you know, analogy there. But it is because the luteal phase is highly, highly sensitive to stress over exercise and under nutrition. So if you are in that cycle, then uh, this is something key to pay attention to. So I've worked with many clients who do not have HA, but will start on a really like like, you know, like I think a lot of the listeners and myself and yourself are probably falling into that kind of type A category, right? Like yeah. we know what we want. We're going to get to it. We are really determined, all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So then like you don't just like wake up one day and say, I'm going to start going for a walk. You wake up no. and say, I'm going to join a There's a set class plan. And I'm going to do a program. twice a day, four times a week, right? Mm-hmm. So that I've had a number of times with clients where it's legitimately like out of the blue we are now exercising like five times a week and all of a sudden I have all this spotting before my period Lisa could this be related to my exercise yes (laughs) can you also explain though what what is that why are we getting spotting before our period Um, I have seen this has never happened to me but I've seen a lot of reports of it Um, And I'm not sure exactly why the spotting is happening. Well, that's a great question. I mean, I wouldn't, there's not only one reason why you could spot before your period. So, um, but particularly when you have like what we're basically talking about here, where you have women who have potentially lost their period or see fluctuations that are directly in response to their exercise or eating habits. So basically, you know, in the first half of the cycle, you're making significant estrogen 
your ovaries are producing that as you approach ovulation. Um, once you ovulate, you make significant progesterone. So estrogen is what causes the uterine lining to develop and grow and thicken. And progesterone is what causes the uterine lining to mature, ripen, mm. if you will. And progesterone is, is crucial for holding, you could say, holding the uterine, uterine lining in place. So uh, when the progesterone is too low, then what happens is you may have a shorter luteal phase. So meaning the progesterone isn't sufficient enough to keep that lining in place. And if it's too low or if you have too few days of it, like legitimately, like the waters come crushing down. Mm, And so the spotting can be related to that as well. And also, so there's this interesting relationship between progesterone and cortisol, our stress hormone. Mm -hmm. So we make cortisol from progesterone, ladies. (laughs) So if I need progesterone to have a healthy luteal phase and I'm like, and what is like stress, it doesn't just mean your boss yelling at you. Obviously, it can also mean not eating enough and exercising too much and then all the other stuff that's going on in your life. And so if that's happening, that is why your luteal phase is basically your best friend when you're recovering from HA because it can kind of keep you in line. It's a way for you to gauge if you're pushing it too much because it should be about 12 days, 12 to 14 days. And so if it's nine days and eight days and you said six days, you're pushing it too much and you need to rest. You need to make sure you're getting enough to eat. You need to make sure you're getting enough sleep. And then there's other ways to support your um, progesterone levels. But after you have made sure you're getting your three square meals a day, plus an extra caloric, you know, if you're, if you're really exercising mm-hmm. a lot, um, then if you've done all of that, then you can start looking at, you know, magnesium supports progesterone production in the luteal phase, B vitamins, particularly B6, you know, vitamin C, there's different things that have been shown to support progesterone production, but you can take all the magnesium you want if you're not getting enough rest and you're mm-hmm. um, exercising too much and not eating enough food. And it's easier yeah, said than done. There's no that. one thing. Yeah. Well, because one yeah. of the things like, and I'm, I'm kind of going on, but I'm even <laughs> curious about your perspective on this because, you know, the thing with HA, and you kind of alluded to it, is that from a scientific perspective, it's pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Like from that kind of like, Okay, there's yeah. not enough calories, there's too much activity, like you're not sustaining what your body needs. And your body's very highly intelligent. And so um, there's this great uh, analogy. Uh, what I interviewed Amy Raup, she's a traditional Chinese medicine doctor. And one of the things that she said is, you know, when you are trying to conceive, when you're in that stage, like when you're fertile, when you're cycling, your mucus is slowing, you're basically in a place of abundance. You have so much chi, if you will, that you can mm. cre- use it to create another one of you. <laughs> so you have so much, right. your, your, your cup runneth over and you have so much energy to give to someone. So if you are not even consuming enough food, you know, to sustain your own body, then your body is going to say, okay, look, <laughs> we need you, we need to take care of you right now. This isn't a good time to reproduce. So it all makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Like from that perspective. So, it does. Um, so yeah, so I would say like when it comes to all this stuff, the luteal phase is, is really, really helpful as a way to gauge whether you're pushing it or not. Yeah. That's where I'm at right now. I'm like always watching that thing because I know mine's super sensitive. And with the with the whole like, I, I love it. You have to have this abundance of, um, of energy in order to create life. And I think that, and yes, it's super straightforward, right? Eat more, rest more, create to create that energy excess that you need but we're still struggling with it. Why? I believe that it's because the message that we've had 
for so long is like there's health benefits to living in a slight caloric deficit the the like the way the world has developed the economy we have now like food is everywhere and we just don't need to eat as much as you know is available to us and all of these messages have been put into our head that like it is healthful to eat less and when you hear that it's healthful to eat less you assume your body doesn't need as much and so then we get because I went through this we get very confused at like like what what do you mean my body like actually needs that much energy? Like when, when you're telling me I need three square meals of like at least 700 calories a day, like that is so much food. I can't comprehend or understand what that energy is being used for. Like what, what in the world? And it's just going to become fat on my body, which, you know, people don't realize also serves another purpose as an organ. So what I explain to people is like, let's take, the the what you were explaining earlier about like mucus production and and just all of the shit that's happening inside that little tiny like re- set of reproductive situation your body creates mucus that is the perfect ph to keep sperm alive and boot out the ones that are abnormal and it keeps them alive for up to 5 days while it's over there making an egg and figuring it out and preparing to release it and like it's so complex our body is so complex that's only one thing that's happening simultaneously as growing your hair and your nails allowing you to see and your brain to process things and building neurological pathways and your digestive systems doing some stuff like our bodies are really busy they're really busy and i like we we don't sit there and appreciate just how it doesn't make sense that it wouldn't need that amount of fuel so my opinion on that is that you know we've just been led to believe we just we just don't need that much and it's very confusing when we find out that we do yeah I mean that is I would add to that as well that by this point where you're having this conversation with yourself to kind of like argue about how much calories Mm. you think your body really needs um by that point you're so disconnected from your actual body that you like you've long stopped listening to your your own hunger cues Mm -hmm. um and so that um to be completely honest and transparent so i have never personally struggled with ha and um even though I am still a woman and I still went through my girlhood and my adolescence and I still thought my thighs were too big and I still would um, do lots of crunchies on the, you know, in front of the television when I was like a, a beanpole uh, because I wanted a flat, a flatter tummy. Like I, I went through a lot of, I feel like I can really relate to a lot of those because um, basically like, it's like a, a like you look at yourself and you think that you're really really big. So there's another yes. aspect of this. So, you know, I remember when I was I'm going on a tangent here, but I remember when I was in university and I discovered proanocytes. Have you heard of those? Proanorexia. No. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I know about those. Yeah. Um and yeah, like so that's a different thing, but that's legitimately women who are like 30, 40 pounds underweight and they think they still think that they're too fat. 
right? Yeah. So there's, and, and that's not, I'm, I'm not generalizing that to HA. I'm not, but I, what I'm saying is um, I think a lot of us can relate to um, even if you have experienced it at some point in your life, looking back and you think, wow, I thought I was so big. When I look at pictures, I didn't realize yeah. how thin I really was. So we kind of have um, this other part. So even though I say that from a scientific perspective, it, it's pretty straightforward because it's like calories in, calories out. It's, it's significantly more complex because it's really getting at this distorted mm-hmm. way that we're looking and also this significant disconnection um, because at this stage, when you're at that beginning stage and you're so disconnected from your body that literally someone has to tell you how much to eat because you, your hunger cues, I'm, I'm not sure how that works because I've never, I don't have that mm-hmm. lived experience, but I'm saying that obviously like your hunger, like what happens to the hunger cues? Because if you're having a conversation and like you need this many calories and you need to eat this much and the person saying, what do I need to eat that much for? Like, mm-hmm. the, don't you ever feel hungry? Well, no. <sighs> Yes. And so then that's, yes. that's the problem. So, you know, when you, so to kind of go back to what you were saying about like what your body needs, like what came to my mind, so this is not exactly scientific, but like I have a lot of little heaters in my house, right? And I turn it on and like it heats up the room. And so, mm-hmm. it, I mean, you're a little heater. That's one, that's one thing. And, and, and where does that heat come from? Well, your all of your cells have mitochondria. Some have, you know, a couple hundred, some have a couple thousand, all of them are making energy simultaneously all the time Mm -hmm. and you have um, trillions and trillions of enzymatic reactions that are happening every second. And um, I mean, I interviewed Nicola Rinaldi and you've probably interviewed her and she broke Mm -hmm. it down better than I did because in her book, she actually defined how like all of that stuff and like, this is how much energy your body needs just to function Mm -hmm. because she's like, I have to spell it out for these women who are struggling with HA so that they yeah. know that every time I eat, it doesn't just go to my um, thighs or whatever. But then there's a second part of that, which is that in order to recover, you probably have to be okay with looking different. Yes. And that means that like whatever you were aiming for, and I'll just about take this with a grain of salt, but just but to make the point, it's like you probably have to be however many pounds heavier than whatever you were aiming for and try to get to a place ultimately where you can understand that that's healthy and, it, you know, it's not, mm-hmm. I'm not ugly, I'm not fat. But um, I had a conversation years ago uh, with a woman, we were talking about this and, you know, she struggled with the, uh, this for a long time and she got her period back and she's doing great. Her cycles were really great. And it was the first time in her life that she um, had her cycles back for as long. And she was like, you know, she'd done a lot of work, right? Therapist, you name it. Like she's, she's oh. good, but she still said, she's like, I hate the way I look. She's like, I'm working on it, but I hate it. Mm-hmm. And she, to me, looks very slim, but of course, um, you know, so yeah. this is this is a complex, a very Pretty complex much. issue. And this is why I really love focusing on the menstrual cycle, because ultimately, if you can kind of get out of that, at least try like, you know, it's it's all it's all it's, it's a work in progress. We live in a very like, you know, turn on the television. Everyone's skinny and pretty and happy all the time. Right. Like, even though they're not because it's yeah. acting, but we forget. So we live in a like all that media stuff is highly highly unrealistic and that's the world that we live in and when we grow up in it as children 
um, now with the social media, I didn't grow up with social media. So now you have all these folks posting their best life all over, you know, and then they, you know, with all the makeup and you just really don't even know what the person looks like, but you're um, measuring yourself again. So we have a lot um, (laughs) against us, uh, Mm -hmm. let's just say, but taking it back to the cycle. So when you can understand that food is not just fuel, but it's nutrition and mm-hmm. um, it helps us to make hormones. It helps us to build our body. It helps us to make babies. I mean, uh, it's more than just, you know, calories and, you know, the calories in a chocolate bar versus the calories in a piece of grass-fed yeah. beef liver, not the same thing. Like when So you- this is one of my beefs as well. There really is a big portion of the HA community that are like, it's just about calories. And I think there's there's a benefit to that it for some people who are dealing with a lot of food rules and like obsessive healthy eating. So I get it. But um yeah, like just to your point, I just like want you to know that in this space, a lot of people are saying like a calorie is a calorie in this situation for yeah. getting your period back. And this is something that I um protest a little bit against myself. So well glad to hear you say it. Yeah. But I mean that is it I think that it's worth like addressing that right because there I I I feel like I've heard both sides of the argument and I think there's Mm -hmm. an argument to be made for both sides I don't so um I think that when you have a woman who's been struggling heavily heavily struggling with food issues restrictions you know she is has um embraced that idea that there's good and bad food Mm. and because for the record, there isn't good and bad. Like in my opinion, uh, there is no such thing as good or bad food. There's just food. Yeah. Now there's more nutritious food and less nutritious food. We can talk about yeah. that. Um, but at the end of the day, like, you know, I'm of the opinion that if you want the cake, eat the cake or whatever. Like, but, yes. but I, I like, this is why this is complicated. So I feel like on the one hand, there's argue, there's an argument to be made for people who say when you're in that initial recovery phase, it doesn't matter. Just eat. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I understand that this is, yeah. you're addressing there the emotional hang up of, I never eat the cake. And I need to know that if I eat the cake, I'm not going to die. And I'm also not going to put on 600 pounds. So I feel like there's an argument to be made for that. But of course, on the other hand, <laughs> um, at some point, it's helpful to move into a healthier pattern. But um, mm-hmm. that's a challenging space. Like I'd be, I'd, I, I don't know. I would love to hear what you think about it because I feel like yes. it can be challenging because you don't want to go from one restrictive eating paradigm to another. Well, exactly. So there's basically people who have been in this uh, healthy eating only, lots of food rules restriction are being asked to do the polar opposite of everything they've ever known and believed that without any stepping stones in between. And that's like, you know, well, if you want to get your period tomorrow, because you're so desperate to get pregnant. But then my question to you is, if this is the space you're in mentally right now, is, is trying to get pregnant tomorrow, the best thing for you, but that's a different rabbit hole. Um, The, the, I, there is a place you can get to where you can have your cake and enjoy a nutritious, a, a nutritious diet. And everyone everywhere in every industry or topic on the internet I don't care what you're talking about has extremist camps and 
I, and that's just what I'm seeing happening. And I would like just love to bring us all together into the middle where we can talk about, um, you know, utilizing all of these things you learned about nutrition during these dark days for you and using what you've learned to, to beef it up, build meals that are going to fuel you now. And we can also work through like having the cake but i just don't know if replacing one extreme like whole lifestyle with another yeah yes and so this sounds logical to so many people listening i see every day people say things like i just am so sick of eating the junk food and i just want my period back so this can end Aww. and i'm like that's actually really sad because i i don't predom- like i work with women with ha but of course it doesn't make up the, the bulk of my practice and so, I mean, for example, outside of the topic of HA, so if someone takes a class with me, <laughs> believe it or not, I don't say, okay, so everybody eat junk food forever, but it's a different situation, mm-hmm. right? So I get what you're saying, but mm-hmm. my general advice for women, and this is outside of HA, this is not HA sensitive, right? But what I, um, what I see a lot just in general, so general population here, um, is a lot of women don't eat breakfast. A lot of women drink coffee and I'm not like super anti-coffee, but coffee is an appetite suppressant. And so when you mm-hmm. start your day with coffee, you often don't eat breakfast or you don't eat a full breakfast because you're not hungry. And so what happens then is you're not going to eat like three more meals. So you end up eating kind of like two meals and not the third. And so a lot of women kind of get into that habit. So when I'm talking about, okay, what would be uh, a way to eat that would support your hormonal health? I'm often looking at balancing blood sugar and mm-hmm. a lot of our culture, right? I grew, I was born in the eighties, grew up in the nineties. It was like fat was going to kill you. Right. And we're still there apparently. And so in order to make hormones, we need to, we need cholesterol. Cholesterol is uh, what our hormones are made from. Testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, cortisol, vitamin D are all made from cholesterol. So what I when I talk about these things outside of the context of HA, I'm saying, okay, eat three full meals a day that include protein, fat, and carbohydrates at each meal. And, you know, I would talk about low glycemic carbohydrates, but I think again that when a person is struggle like when they're coming off of the paradigm of really struggling with like good and bad food, um, I feel like yeah, you don't need a lot cops. of restrictions. <laughs> but I feel like you could still have guidelines and potentially a guideline mm-hmm. like that ensure that each meal and snack contains protein, fat and carbohydrates as a general template or look at the plate method where you have like half a plate of veg, you have your, you know, rice or pasta, like mm-hmm. a smaller amount and then you have like meat. I mean, but I think that there there could also be an argument for kind of an individual basis depending on what a person is yes, struggling for. Absolutely. With. But maybe that at least presents a balance. And then I would say, so again, outside of this context, once you've eaten your three full meals a day with a combination of protein, fat, and carbohydrates, you are actually full and you're good. So eat the cake because you're full. So you're not going to eat the whole cake. You you literally can't eat the whole cake because you just had three full meals. Yeah. And you know you can eat as much as you want now. Like you're outside of this restrictive mindset. Totally. And I can also tell you that's exactly how I got my period back. I started working with an NTP and we we developed a meal where I would eat those three square meals with a balance of every macronutrient. And that was what finally worked for me. So 
Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, yes to all of the things. I found this really interesting study when I was researching for the HA section of the fifth vital sign. And in that study, they basically had a group of women who did, you know, they're athletes, they identify as athletes. All of them had lost their period for, you know, had for a certain amount of time. And basically, they didn't have the women stop exercising. So again, I'm not, this is, I'm talking about the study, I'm not saying what's going to work for anyone who's listening. But in the study, they they had these women then eating their three square meals a day. And then they gave them the addition of what they called like a nutritional supplement. So like you mm. said, like, it was like a shake, and it had the protein, like it had the macros. And so in addition to their, their all of the food that they were eating, they would drink it every single day and on Sunday, because I think they it was like a six day workout, and they didn't work out on Sunday, but they would still drink it every single day. And for some, um, you know, the, the, there was a range for how long it took their periods to come back. So for some of them, it was like in month one. And I think the longest was month seven. But mm. just to kind of iterate that, what your body really needs is the macros and the micros. But I, I think that there's a tendency to focus only on the macros at this point. Yeah. 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 Yes. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Micronutrients, guys. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, I don't want to keep you for too long, too much longer. It's been an hour and I've like, I've loved every second of it. So thank you so much. Basically we touched on like, Okay, how you know you're ovulating at this stage when you have HA. Some great signs are basically cervical mucus. Um, and, and there's, I'm sure, some others. And if you chose, taking your temperature is generally not super valuable, I assume, at this time. But, like, what do you say about the, what do you think around the transition of, like, okay, I think I've recovered. I've had my first period. When and how can I look at transitioning to fertility awareness tracking? Well, I would say first, it depends on what you're going for. So if you are, you know, in a relationship and you don't want to be pregnant, it's really important to, because I, I could imagine, like, if you haven't had your period for three years, birth control, I mean, it's hardly, right? Like you, Yeah, you don't have to worry about yeah, it at you're all. You're not ovulating. Yeah. yeah. But then as soon, the, the challenge, though, is that as soon as you start ovulating again, like, you can get pregnant pregnancy can happen in any cycle mm -hmm. with ovulation so if you're currently not trying to have a baby then I would say that you just want to make sure that you're on top of the birth control aspect of it so with fertility awareness charting you do if you're if you're learning on your own you want a minimum of three full cycles charted and particularly when you're recovering from HA and those initial cycles can be a little bit you know, just a, some of the parameters can be off and things like that. Uh, it's it's duly important just to make sure you're giving yourself three full cycles of charting and learning before you start relying on the method for birth control. Mm. So that's a kind of like a, you know, caveat uh, there. Now, if you're planning to conceive, I think that, you know, you can just, you just start charting, right? You just jump in and you're right when you say that the temperature can be a bit frustrating if it takes you several months, for example, for your uh, first ovulation and period mm -hmm. to take place, because then you're essentially taking your temperature every morning for months and nothing happens until you ovulate. Like the data doesn't really say anything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it gives you generally uh, the most valuable aspect of this temperature without ovulation is that kind of base understanding of where your metabolism is at. But yeah, mm -hmm. it's not, that, it's not, um, 
the beyond end all. So once you actually have your first ovulation and you start menstruating again, absolutely you can jump in and take your temperature. So the temperature doesn't have a predictive value. Um, the temperature you're taking it, you know, every morning, first thing before you get out of bed, and it's measuring your uh, basal body temperature. So your baseline metabolism level, and the temperature only rises after ovulation. And so it's very helpful to confirm that you've ovulated. It's helpful to predict your period. Because typically, once you once you're in a healthy state, your luteal phase is pretty stable. So you know, if you usually have a 12-day luteal phase, like after your initial recovery phase, then you can expect your period usually about 12 days after ovulation. It's pretty consistent. And so that can be really helpful. Um, and so, I mean, when you're trying to conceive, that's a kind of a conversation in, in and of itself. I think it's really mm -hmm. helpful to really consider um, a period of preconception if you're able to do that. So along with your plans for recovery and all of the work that you're doing to recover your period, it is a good idea to, you know, incorporate certain foods that are high in the nutrients that you need to support a healthy pregnancy, healthy hormones, mm -hmm. and also a healthy, your, your healthy self. Um, because especially if you didn't have your period for a long, long time, that would indicate that you were undernourished. And so there is something to be said for um, if you're able to, uh, just take some time to nourish your body. And I say that to every person. Um, if you, like every woman, <laughs> if you have yeah. the ability to take six to 12 months before you start trying, if, if that's something that you have the ability to do, then um, by all means, it's, it's something to seriously consider. Because um, I remember my doctor told me when I was pregnant, he was like, your baby will get what it needs. And obviously, to this day, it still stuck with me because, uh, the you know, the baby will get what it needs, but at your expense. It doesn't mean you'll get what you need. And um, there's more of a reason to get an abundance happening inside of your body during this time. Exactly. So I'm not sure if that answered the question, but generally, um, I would say jump in and start charting. If you want to use it for birth control, certainly you need to take some time to learn that before you rely on it. And if you're trying to conceive, the charting aspect of it is really good. And from... From the, everyone's going to do what they're comfortable with, what they feel is right. Especially mm -hmm. if you've been trying to get your period back for a long time, you know, in, there's two perspectives on this. Um, from the one hand, you know, if your body is ready, you'll conceive. So trying right away, if your body is ready to, to sustain a pregnancy, it'll happen. And so there's some degree of, um, you know, like, there's there's an argument to be made for like we'll just try but if you have mm. the ability to take a little bit of time to just nourish your body then from that perspective of like optimal well sure it would be optimal to have three kind of normal cycles back to back in a row before you start trying but by all means you know if your body is ready it'll happen I, I'm not in the habit of telling people what to do yeah I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing those thoughts. Can you tell people um, quickly, because then I have a couple of bonus questions that only people that are inside of the HA society get to listen to, oh, which is like, I know it's like very exclusive, but can you tell people a little bit about where they can get your book, the audio version, the paperback version, what to expect from it? And as well, I get a lot of questions whenever I whenever people see a picture of my charting workbook. So that as well. Oh, well, thank you for that. Um, so you can find the fifth vital sign um, on Amazon. So as you mentioned, it's in all the versions. You can get the first chapter for free at the fifth vital sign book.com. And uh, the workbook 
it's it's kind of fun because I made a workbook when I was in my early 20s. It was not the same. It was like I took it to the printer, right, and like collated it and all that stuff. Um, but so I kind of thought that women wouldn't be interested in the paper charting. But then as soon as I'm working with more and more clients, a pretty significant um, percentage of my clients were printing out the charts and, and charting that way. So that's anyway, that's a little background of the workbook. Uh, so I, I love that women love it and still um, use mm. paper charting because I, I use I use my own charting book. <laughs> that is my preferred way of charting. Yeah. So um, fertility Friday dot, or no, sorry, the fifth vital sign book.com slash workbook. Um, it's also available on Amazon. But yeah, and then for anyone who is really interested in these topics, my podcast of uh, Fertility Friday, if you type in Fertility Friday in your favorite podcast player, you'll find me there. I've been podcasting for this is year six. So there's lots of long ass time. Long ass time. And then at Fertility Fridays, <laughs> where I am on Instagram, I'm always on there saying fun stuff. So thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Links to all of that stuff in the show notes, guys. Okay, bonus questions. Surprise one, actually. How sad are you that you don't have a daughter to like teach all of this to? <laughs> that is such a good question. Oh my goodness. Um, well, I mean, if the world hadn't gone totally crazy, my husband and I have been debating having a third child. So you never know. Like it's we haven't You heard it here first, guys. I am not pregnant for the for the record. So I'm not pregnant. Okay. Um so we've kind of like, we were kind of scared off by all the chaos in the world. So we're mm -hmm. like, um, but uh, so anyway, so the answer is like, it, it could nice. happen there, there could be a girl, but, um, but I mean, I, I have two boys and I think it's a great opportunity to raise them to be amazing men. And mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of value in that. And I get a lot of kicks from my work. So even though I don't have daughters, I have the great blessing of working with amazing women every day. And so amazing women take my classes, take my one-on-one -on -one programs, and they, some of them have daughters, some of them will have daughters, some of them yeah. have nieces. And, and so I, I, I feel at least at this point that so many women and daughters and girls are going to be exposed to this amazing information in some part because of like that everyone kind of, knows a woman because of the, the the information dissemination that I've been part of and so at least for now I'm I can I, I feel really proud of that and really happy with that and so yeah and I love my It'll boys do. they're they're wonderful I hope that one day they have like their girlfriend or their wife or they're just like the, the girlfriend's like I think I'm pregnant and he's like well when did like they just ask questions yeah. and they just know more than her or something like that but keep in mind that I'm the mom so I'm gonna like when they're <laughs> I don't even like when they're old enough, I'm going to be like, well, I don't know what to tell you, but you need to take responsibility for what you need to do. So if you're not married to her trying to get her pregnant, then you better be pulling it out and wrapping it up, wrap it up and pull it out. I don't have any patience for any of this foolishness. Men, take this up. So you get where I'm going with this. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're first. Terrifying. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, cool. <laughs> Question number two. What are you reading right now? Or what is one book book that you recommend everyone should read? Oh, that's a good question. What am I reading right now? Um, I have like a hundred books on my Audible. Um, <laughs> I actually recently downloaded um, In the Flow. I, I read most of it before I interviewed Elisa Vitti. And so it's a great book. I love her. She's fantastic. So if you're into cycles, 
certainly it is a very interesting read. Um, yeah, I'm trying. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what else because I have a lot of books all over the place everywhere. But I, I'll go with that. That's that's a good answer. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great recommendation. Okay, and then last question. What is it that makes understanding your own body and your menstrual health so empowering to you? Hmm. That is a good question. I would say that it teaches us or helps us to remember to tune in uh, to our intuition. So it connects us to our bodies. It seems like this world, and we talked a little bit about this in the interview, but it seems like this world yeah. is all about trying to get us out of that. So instead of loving and celebrating yourself with all of your wonderful, unique characteristics, with all of your weird freckles and all the different things that really make you unique, instead of celebrating that, we watch the TV and we see all these plastic people that had work done and think that they're natural. Cause I didn't know that they airbrushed pictures when I was a teenager. Mm. So when I was looking at, I used to love, you know, Tyra Banks, like, cause I grew up like when she was like, you know, like in all these um, magazines. And so I used to look at the pictures of Tyra Banks. Um, and also she's a black girl, right. And there weren't, there weren't that many mm-hmm. black girls. And so I used to look at pictures of her with her green eyes and no pores and look at my face and wonder why I had pores. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah. just completely ridiculous. <laughs> so, um, what was the question? Because this this keeps happening. No, but it but it <laughs> makes me, no, but it makes sense. Like, what does understanding your own body and your menstrual health how how is that empowering to you? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Because I got all on my Tyra Banks train. And I totally lost my train of thought. But um, uh, so basically, like it it prevents us from really celebrating our uniqueness. And so I think a lot of us, even if we're not consciously searching for that, are subconsciously searching for that. So for a lot of women, charting is the thing that brings them home, basically, Mm. that brings them back into their bodies. It's the thing that helps them to start to see that what I do affects me because it doesn't just stop at like the Tyra Banks, no pores. It's like, my doctor went to medical school and has his $100,000 plaque on the wall. So he must know more about my body than me. So if I'm having this problem and I go to my doctor, my doctor says, that's crazy. Then you leave thinking, am I crazy? No, you're not. Because it doesn't matter how many degrees your doctor has, you live in your body all the time. And so your doctor will never know more about your body than you. You might not have the words to describe it. And so charting helps you have those words. Women who chart their cycles over periods of time learn a lot of things. They learn that their sleep routine, their exercise routine, their diet, their supplement routine, their stress levels, all of that stuff. They learn that that impacts the cycle. They learn that they can change their cycle. They learn that what they do makes a difference. And so, you know, you can't tell a woman who charts her cycle anything. Like if I have been charting my cycle for two years and I all of a sudden notice that my mucus is yellow and weird looking and the doctor says it's normal. No, it's not normal. On page six, you can clearly see that I've never had this before. Right. So you can't tell her anything. So I would say that 
um, for a lot of women, I mean, there's a lot of different ways for people to get back into their bodies. But for a lot of women, this is one of those ways. This is one of the ways mm-hmm. that gets you back into your body. It gets you listening to your body in a conversation with your body, following your intuition. Because when you have that little inner voice, that's like something's off, something's wrong. If you also see that in your cycle and then you do something different, you make a change, change career, leave that asshole, find another boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, and all, and you know, over time, those things improve. It really strengthens your ability to, to trust and believe in yourself and stop looking outside of you for all of the answers. Stop, yeah. you know, thinking the doctors have all the answers and, you know, we're going to save you and all that kind of stuff. It, you kind of learn that I can do a lot myself. Like I still need help. I still need support. I still need guidance. I still need my professionals if I have a problem, but I am actually the head of the table and I'm going to take what they say and I'm going to think about it. And I'm the one that's going to make the decision about what's best for me. I love it. I wholeheartedly agree. It's like, I have this data now and this is unbiased and I don't have to guess and wonder and look to other people for answers because I have this information in front of me and I know it best and I'm in this information every single day. Yeah. Hell yeah. Love it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. I'm so excited for everyone to listen to this and for you guys to let us know what you thought about this episode and go find Lisa. It's going to, she's going to change lots of things for you going forward. (laughs) Thanks for listening today. And if you want to get involved in the conversation with me, with other amazing women, just like the ones that you hear on the show, I recommend you get on the waitlist for the HA Society. It opens on the new moon of every single month. So if you're not on the waitlist, go to the show notes or just head to waitlist.thasociety.com or thasociety.com or wherever you want to go and join on that waitlist. And whilst I have you here, I think it would be amazing if you were left a review for this podcast rate and review the podcast it helps give me clout allows me to get more badass guests on the show and helps other women just like you find the podcast more easily when they're searching around the internet all confused why they don't have period and it can help them find us in our little community that we have right here okay i love you have a good one